You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, NCC. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be here with you today. Uh, my name is Micah. I am the worship pastor here at the North Canton Chapel. Uh, and I want to say thank you. Uh, some of you know I had surgery a little bit ago. That's why I've not been leading worship. Um, but it's a privilege to be here. Doctor said everything is good. And I should be back singing. So whether you like that or not, I guess I'm coming back. Um, so, so here we are. Uh, but no, it's going to be a good time. But seriously, many of you, you messaged me. You've been praying for me. And so I just want to say thank you. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And also, I'm really thankful for Larry, uh, for our team, just as they've been leading us in worship over this last month. It's been incredible uh, to walk off this stage and know that it's not about me being on this stage. And it should never be about a single person being on the stage. It should always be about Jesus. And, uh, and so that's the important thing. And so I'm excited to be here today. Uh, today I have the privilege to close out a series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks called Back to Basics. And the hope of this series, the heart of it, has been to equip you. It's been to give you some tools to help you to open up this book and to dig into it for yourself and to be able to understand what is truth. Not just so that we can read and have a bunch of knowledge, but ultimately so that we can connect with Jesus in a deeper way. So that we can know how to live our lives in light of what truth teaches us. And so that's been the heart of it. It's to give you these tools to help you to know God's word rightly to study it for all it's worth, and not just to study it, but to move it into your life. And so I get the joy today of asking a question. What's the point? We've been going through this series for the last four or five weeks now. You've got a ton of tools in your tool belt, hopefully, to help you to understand Scripture. Why? Why is it so important? Why do you need these tools? Well, I believe that we need these tools because we need to have a deep understanding of what truth is. And in our world, it is becoming increasingly difficult to be able to know what truth is and to be able to stand on things that we know are true. And I know I just get, I'm just getting started here, but if I can, may I be very direct. I believe that truth is constantly under fire. And I believe that those who hold to truth will be increasingly persecuted and increasingly belittled. And even when we move the truth from our heads into our hearts, when we really start to get a hold of this thing, and then we try to move it into our lives, we start to feel a great tension. Because if we're honest, we're good with the truth of God's word as long as we're in this room with a bunch of people we're safe with right? The hard part comes in the everyday places and spaces where we live, work, and play. We have to know truth. But the only way that we can know truth is to dig into it. 
but oftentimes when we move into these spaces, it can be hard. One of the first times I felt a tension like that, I was a freshman in high school, and I started at a new school, and I was wearing Christian t-shirts every day, okay? So Christian t-shirts, especially in the early 90s, they had a heyday, okay? And so, like, my Christian t-shirts were, like, the Reese's brand t-shirt that said Jesus, King of Kings, instead of Reese's peanut butter cups. If some of you have that shirt, you just rock it. You just go for it, love it. Um, I had a, probably a what would Jesus do t-shirt for every day of the week. Uh, and so some of you, you know my story, and so you're going, what's going on here? Because I was not saved until college, uh, but I was raised in church, and I was not raised in Christ. And so really what I was doing is I was walking into school, wearing these Christian t-shirts, doing this thing, and I was really letting my t-shirts be a pharisaical religiosity, if we could say that. It was my religious tradition. I was doing the thing that I thought I was supposed to do because I was a good church kid. I went to church on Sunday, and that's how this thing went. But that all came to a screeching halt one morning when a girl turned around and looked at me in homeroom, and she goes, don't you have anything else to wear other than stupid Jesus shirts? And as a freshman in high school who did not follow Jesus, that still stung a little bit. Why did it sting? It didn't sting because she was coming at Jesus. It stung because she was calling me out on my nonsense. You see, she'd watched how I lived my life day in and day out, and she knew that the things that I was doing were not lining up with the shirts that I was wearing. And she was calling me out. See, I didn't actually know the truth I claimed to hold to. I just fronted. I just put it out and said, hey, I love Jesus. These are my shirts. But really in my heart, I didn't. My fear for us, church, is that we can live in that spot. When we're in this space, we love Jesus. But when we move out into the world, it becomes increasingly difficult. This is why we must learn to stand on truth. But more than that, we must learn to speak truth in love. Not ignoring truth or shying away from calling sin, sin. But we must first seek to love, to build bridges strong enough to bear the weight of the truths that we stand on. But in order to know truth, In order to stand on truth, we must know truth. Because if not, we will be consistently tempted more and more to go with what is easy. We'll say that sin isn't that big of a deal. We'll claim cultural unity over biblical standards. We'll believe the lie that it is unloving to be a Christian and hold to biblical truth. Hear me clearly. If you are in this room and you claim to follow Jesus as your Savior, you do not get to claim that he is your Savior and your King and then ignore the standards that he sets for us in terms of how we should live our lives. We can't just wear Jesus shirts. We've got to know truth and stand on it. When we refuse to do this, here's what we do. We make kings of ourselves instead of Jesus. We act like the people of Israel in Judges 17, 6, where it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. 
and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When we refuse to recognize Jesus as king, we will do what is right in our own eyes. And we will reveal ourselves as the treasonous idol factories that we are. We'll call sin everything except for that which it actually is. And we will cave to our desires and to what our culture says is right. This is why we have to go back to the basics. It's why we have to know truth. But this isn't the first time in history that standing for truth has been difficult, is it? In Daniel chapter 3, we have this example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're in this moment where the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar has asked all of the nation to bow down and worship a giant golden statue that he has made for himself. And he did this huge thing, right? I mean, he said that like the ultimate PR campaign has the top 40 artists. Everybody's going to play every hour on the hour his favorite song. And when they do, everyone will bow down and worship him. I mean, this is the scale of imagine every social media feed goes live at the same time. Every news network covers this. Everybody will bow down and worship him. And everybody does. Say, hey, everybody's doing it. It's okay. We should just bow down. Except for three men who stood on truth. Let's look at this in Daniel chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking to these three. Do you hear him? He's like, hey, I heard this rumor that maybe you're not doing the thing I told you to do. We're just going to push that aside. Look, the band's going to play. They're going to do it again. We're going to play the song because I like the song. When it happens, bow down and worship me. But if you don't, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Do you hear how he elevates himself as God? It's like there's no possible God that you could worship that could be stronger or mightier than me. In fact, look. We're just going to push all this stuff aside. You bow down, worship me, we'll be good. This is their response. They answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if you have to kill us, we will not bow. We will stand on what we know to be true. Even though everyone else is doing it, even though everybody else says, hey, look, it's not that big of a deal, how about we just let the king have his thing? They say no, because our God is greater, and we know truth, and we will stand on it. 
I believe that a time is coming, and in many ways that it is already here, when those who follow Jesus, who will be forced to either stand on truth or be thrown into a fiery furnace. We will be called to either bow down to idols in fear because we do not stand on biblical truth, or we will stand on truth and proclaim the name of Jesus. We must learn to stand on biblical truth. and We must allow it to infuse every aspect of our lives, not just the space. But we live in this tension, don't we? We want to stand on and in truth, but when we do that, we realize something, just like I did when I was a freshman in high school. We realize that when we stand on truth, it makes people mad. And we don't like making people mad. We don't like offending people. We don't like saying things for fear of hurting one's feelings. And so this is what we do. We either say nothing or we say it the wrong way. We speak loudly and arrogantly instead of building bridges strong enough to bear the weight of the truth that we hold. The tragedy of our day will come when well-intentioned Christians bow knee to idols of fear in the name of being gracious and loving while turning a blind eye to the truths that they claim to believe. May it not be so with us, North Canton Chapel. There is a way to present truth in love, but we must be careful not to paint love with a broad brushstroke of weakness and cowardice. To speak truth in love does not mean that we tiptoe our way through what scripture teaches us is true. Going back to the basics, knowing the truths of scripture, it helps us to stand firm, but it also equips us. It equips us to train the next generations to stand on truth because make no mistake, if we do not, they will grow up in a world believing that truth is relative. The truth is what we make it to be. They will grow up believing that there is no moral standard of absolutes and they will bow every time the band plays. Why? Because it's easier. It's easier to do what everyone tells you to do. It always has been. A.W. Tozer once said that to be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. One of my greatest heartbreaks for the Western church is that we care far too much about being right with men and far too little about being right with God. We do this because we are fearful to stand on truth, because we believe the lie that God is not strong enough to sustain us. Instead of fully trusting in biblical truth, we run to every other outlet and decide this is going to be our standard of truth. We look to our political parties of choice, our news outlets of choice, our favorite podcasts, our news feeds, and the last place that we often run, unless we are fearful, afraid, or sick, is the word of God. Why? Why do we do this? It's because we do not value this book the way we claim to. We say sola scriptura, that this and this alone is our standard for how we live, but we treat it like an afterthought. May it not be 
Dig in. Stand on the foundation of God's word. Why do we not do this? Because we don't know it. Let's just be honest. We can't stand on what we do not know. And then we begin to make excuses about it, right? You say, well, isn't that, that's like the pastor's job, right? And he's supposed, that's why, like, we tithe, he gets paid, something like that. Like, he studies scripture for me and he unpacks it. He does the work, right? That's what, that's what this is all about. No. 2 Timothy 3.16 will tell us this. It tells us that scripture alone can accomplish everything that it needs to accomplish in you. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Parents in the room, you start asking the question, well, isn't it family ministry's job to train my children up in the way that they should go? Isn't it their job to teach my kids the Bible? We're going to rapid fire through some text real quick if we can. Proverbs 22.6 tells us to train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I had a pastor that I used to serve with, and we would do child dedications together. And he would always read this verse, and then he would make this comment. He would say that we do not raise children. He said, we raise cattle and corn. There's a difference. We train up our children. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. We know that part, right? Dads, don't make your kids mad with you. Don't frustrate them. Let's not neglect the second and most important part but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. How do I do that? I have to know truth in order to teach truth. How do I know truth? I have to spend time with it. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and these words I command you today shall be on your heart. We love that part, right? We stop there. Love God with all I am. Why? Why? You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Who's teaching the children in this passage? It's not Moses, it's not Aaron. It's not Pastor Brandon. It's not me teaching your kids. I've got my own three tiny little idol factories to deal with, okay? You teach your kids truth. Maybe you're going, Micah, I didn't think we were talking about family ministry today. The series is back to the basics. Every message preached from this stage is about family ministry. Every single one. Why? Because you take the scripture that you are learning, that you are being trained in, and you teach it to 
your children. What if I don't have kids? What if my kids are grown? What if there's a hard relationship here and I feel like it's, it's too late? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 is a passage we all know well. It's the Great Commission given to all followers of Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples in the name, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the, to the, end of the age. Even if you do not have children of your own, there are those who are younger than you, both literally younger than you and younger than you maturity-wise in the faith that need you. They need you to encourage them, to teach them, to disciple them, and to help them to know what truth is and to know how to stand on it. My friends, I am becoming increasingly, I am increasingly believing that we may need to be prepared for a day where the only gathering that we can be a part of without fear of persecution will be in your basement behind locked doors. And if that were the case, what would the church of your home look like? Would you be able to teach truth to your family? Again, it is, it is not my intention when I say something like that to frighten or to chastise or demean because I am preaching to myself. There are ways in, in which I sit, a, sit at my dinner table with my wife and my girls and I go, man, I could be leading this thing better. If you're in that space and the Holy Spirit is convicting you of that, may you, like me, let us repent, believe the gospel, and get moving. But here's the rub, okay? Let's just get really honest with the tension that we feel, and I feel it too. We can't help others see the beautiful value and trustworthiness of God's word if we don't go back to basics and dig into it ourselves, we cannot help someone apply the truth of God's word to their life. We cannot, and we cannot filter all the things that the world throws at us. We don't have two feet to stand on if we don't go back to the basics and learn to stand on God's word. You have to spend time in it. You have to spend time in the word of God. To teach truth, we must know truth. To know truth, we must spend time with it. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Why do you think it speaks here of the thoughts and intentions of the heart? Why does the word of God need to do that? Why does it need to cut to those spaces? Scripture also tells us about our hearts in Jeremiah 17, 9. It reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things. What does that mean? It means that your heart will lie to you. My heart will lie to me. And if we can't trust our own thoughts, if we can't trust our own hearts, our own opinions, or our own feelings, if we cannot trust these things unless 
They are vetted through, combed over, wrung out, and ripped apart and sewn back together by the truth of God's word. It does not matter how I feel about something. If God's word tells me that I should think differently of it, then I default here, not here. Too much of our world is messed up because we have valued our heart over God's heart. May we have the heart of the psalmist in Psalm 119, 160, where he says, I hasten and I do not delay to keep your commands. I seek after you above all else. May we move with an urgency to know scripture and to follow its commands. We run with urgency to so many other trivial, dead things, and we run from the one thing that can give us life. Why? Because it's easier to bow to the idol. It is easier to bow when the band plays. Because we're afraid. And we don't know it. Church, may it not be so with us. God, may it not be so with me. This year is a church We've been running back to Ephesians 4 over and over again as this filter of how we're to operate that we we want to build up. We want to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Look at this beginning in verse 12. It says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed about by waves of doctrine, so that we can stand on truth, so that we won't be messed up when we have false ideas coming at us, lies about what is true. We will say, no, I know truth, and I stand on it. Why do I know it? Because I've spent time in it. And then we speak truth in love, growing up every way into Christ. One of the great reformers, Martin Luther, said it this way. He said, Scripture alone is the Lord and master of all writing and doctrines on earth. If that is not granted, what is Scripture good for? If it is not Lord and master, what is it good for? The more we reject it, the more we become satisfied with man's books and human teachers. Martin Luther calls us, he says, don't settle. Don't settle. No truth, stand on it. As followers of Jesus, we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God. What that means, when you know truth and can stand on the word of God, it means that you are not first your political party of choice and then a Christian. 
You are not first your ethnicity and then a Christian. You are not first your sexuality and then a Christian. You are not first your occupation and then a Christian. You were bought with a price. You were ransomed by the blood of Jesus on the cross. You are a claimed son or daughter of King Jesus. That is who you are first. Do not believe a lie that you are anything else. What that means is that it means that our views about politics, morality, equality, philosophical ideologies, our views about sexuality, the way that we love our spouses and our kids, all filters through the sovereign lordship of King Jesus. As followers of Jesus, when we choose to view the world through any other lens, other than the lens of scripture, we are guilty of sin and we need to repent. We must learn to study God's word. We go back to the basics because it is is the bedrock of everything that we stand on. We must not be tossed to and fro. So very practically, how do we do this? How do we dig into scripture? How do we learn truth and know how to stand on it? About six months ago, Pastor us through 10 tips to engage God's word. I don't know if you remember that or not. It was in the Healthy Habits series. It was the very first series that we did this year. And we're going to walk back through those 10. And you're going, we already had this. Why are you doing this again? Well, I don't know about you, but all of my resolutions since January are pretty much gone. Uh, So I need reminded. And church, I know that I am heavy with this today. But we need reminded. We need reminded and we need to hold each other accountable to stand on truth. Because it is easy to bow. Let's look at these tips together. First, get a copy of God's word. I recommend uh, both the English Standard Bible and the Christian Standard Bible. The English Standard Bible is the one that we use here most often whenever we're preaching and doing that type of thing. If you do not have a physical copy of God's word, of that ESV, there is a copy of that Bible under the seat in front of you. Take it today. It is our gift to you. I recommend that you you grab that. That's the one that I use for, for my own personal study. But when I'm doing my devotions with my girls at home, we use the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. It's just a little bit easier for where my girls are right now in terms of readability and understandability. Um, And so if you don't have a copy, grab one, uh, but get a physical copy of God's word. Okay, don't just rely on your app. Your phone will die, your battery will be shot, you'll want a real book. Okay? I also just like the way books smell, but there's, that's the weird thing about me. Uh, so number two, I know I just said don't rely on the app, but number two, download the version app. <laughs> Why? Why not? We have so many other things scrolling through our screens that are trying to scream at us, hey, this is true. Have the one thing that you know is true on there. Get it. Have it easily accessible. Use it. Read it. Okay? It's packed with devotional reading plans. It's a great tool. Uh, Number three, find a consistent time and place to study the Word of God. Find a consistent time and place. Some of you are morning people. Some of you are not. Both are okay. All right? Both are okay. Uh, What I would encourage you to do is pick a time that you're going to be able to read God's word without distraction. That's also another reason I use the physical Bible, because I am way too ADD to be digging through everything all the time on my phone. 
too many notifications, it distracts me. Um, but this is what I would say with, say with this. Put it on your calendar. Like you have a lunch meeting with someone. Like you have a meeting with the CEO. Okay? If you don't have a CEO, pretend you do. Just go here with me, okay? But if you had that meeting, and CEO calls you this week and he says, hey, I want to meet with you uh, Thursday morning at 6 a.m., You'd set three alarms, you'd lay your clothes out the night before, you'd go through everything you needed in your work for the last quarter to make sure you were up to date on everything that that guy wanted to know or that girl wanted to know, and you would come to the table prepared. The appointment that you keep with God's word is more important than that meeting. Keep it. Put it on your calendar. Set the alarm. Do it. Number four, before anything, pray. Pastor Dave walked us through this in such a beautiful way last week. Uh, it's easy to rush into the text. It's easy to just dive in and you're like, okay, I got, I got to get into this thing today. I've got to do it. Breathe, slow down, pray. Say, God, would you give me understanding? We learned in our Holy Spirit series, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he illuminates God's word for us. He helps us to understand truth. Ask him to do that. Number five, settle into a book. Okay, this is what we're doing this summer, right? You can read the book of 1 John in about 10 minutes, the entire book. In fact, I'd recommend that as we're doing this series, spend once a day and just read it. Read the book. The reason that we're taking this time this summer is because we really want to dig deep and learn, like just unearth it, mine it, really dig through it. Some of, uh, one of my goals for this past year is I, I set a goal to read through the Bible in a year. Some of you are doing that version plan with me. And so I've been doing that. But there's also times when you need to slow down and just dig into the book that it takes you 10 minutes to read and you need to spend some time there. That's what we're doing this summer. So if you don't have one of those First John journals, this is just the plug. Grab one, right? Number six, practice reap. Read, examine, apply, pray. Again, we're not going to spend a lot of time here. Go back and, and listen to the message from last week. Um, but take the time to use this Bible study method. Read, examine, apply, pray. Uh, throughout the First John series, one of the things that we're doing on Facebook is earlier in the week, Pastor Brandon is going to use this method and walk through the passage he is preaching on Sunday. We're doing that every week before Sunday. Okay, and so hop on there. You can watch him do that. You can do that with him. And it's just another great way to dig into this together. Uh, so use that method. Number seven, ask basic questions. Basic questions. What is God saying? What does he want me to do about it? Great place to start. Another question for yourself might be, who could I talk with about this passage today? Who could I talk with about this passage? Talk about what you're learning. Here's another one. If I were to recap this group, if I were to recap this passage to a group of kindergartners, how would I do it? It gets your brain in a different space. It forces you to think through the book in a different way than you normally would. Number eight, get some simple tools. Uh, a tool that I love, it's maybe not simple, but it's one that I love. Uh, it's the ESV expository commentary set. Uh, it's really, really deep. But get yourself a good commentary set that you enjoy, that you love. Uh, an ESV study Bible is an, a great tool. And then also for some of you who are like Charles Spurgeon nerds, 
Uh, I just got to throw out, there's a Charles Spurgeon study Bible where he kind of puts all of his preaching notes along in there and you can study along with him and I'm a nerd. And so if you want to be a nerd with me, grab that one too. Uh, Number nine, go with someone. Talk about what you're learning. Do it together. One of the great things about the uh, YouVersion app is that you can invite people to your reading plans and you can do those together. If you, uh, if you haven't done that, do that. Hop into a community group, hop into a study group or one of our Bible studies here at NCC. There are loads of ways to go together into God's word and it's better that way. It's been said that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, go together. Lastly, do something. James 1.22 tells us to be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving ourselves. This word is meant to be lived out. We don't just study it to fill our minds. Jesus had some pretty interesting things to say to the guys that did that. It has to be lived out. If it just stays here and doesn't move out here, we're doing it wrong doing it wrong. Church, I love you. I want so badly for us to see Jesus rightly. That's my heart. That's my heart in everything that ever happens in this space. I want us to see him rightly. I want us to learn to stand on biblical truth. I want us to speak truth in love that we would daily gospel ourselves, that we would repent, that we would proclaim the gospel. But the only way that we can do those things, the only way that we can stand on truth is to know truth. And the only way to know truth is to actually spend time with it. To be able to study the word of God is a remarkable privilege. We don't treat it that way because we can download it on our phones. It's become so common that we've, at some time, at some moments, we've let it lose its sacredness. The fact that God gave us his word is a grace we do not deserve. The fact that we can open this book And God has given it to us as a way to know and understand what truth is. What an incredible grace. Maybe it's a stretch, but I love that we talk about the word of God being a grace. And John chapter 1 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus lived among us. And that he showed us a greater grace than anything we could ever know by giving his very life for us. And so today, we're going to close our service with a time of communion. The band's going to come. And as you came in, you should have received, if you wanted to pick that up, uh, you could have picked up the communion elements. There's two lids there, just very practically. There's a, a small one on the top that's got the bread underneath it, and then another one that's got the juice.
Jesus sat with some of his closest friends, with those that he had walked with for years, those that he had lived among. He'd done miracles in front of them. He did the things that we just sang about a little while ago. He made the lame to walk, the blind to see. But as he sat with his friends, they were eating a meal, the Passover. In the meal where they would remember blood marking doorposts, setting the people of Israel apart. Jesus, as the lamb, was breaking bread, was drinking from the cup. I've often wondered what went through his mind that night. I've often wondered, like, the human side of Jesus, right? Doing this with his closest friends, what does he think? he was thinking of us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat with his closest friends. He took the bread. He said, this is my body that will be broken for you. Take and eat until I come again. blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. In a way, he said, never forget this. Until I come again, never forget what this means. So church today, let's remember together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the graces that we remember today, for the grace of your word, that you would give us your word as truth that we can understand and know, for the gift of Jesus, for his broken body and his blood poured out. Today, we stand in this space and we just say, God, we need you. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for these gifts that you have given us because you long for us to know you, to walk with you. You made a way. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us. It's in the strong name of Jesus we pray together and we say, Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, 
it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.